war crimes. Yes, war crimes. In Star Wars, the amount of civilian casualties is staggering. From the destruction of Alderaan to the back alley murdering of an Imperial pilot, we have compiled a list of 10 war crimes that we think are worthy of discussion. Pour some tea because it's time to discuss some very hot topics. Welcome to Talk About Tan. Bleah. Welcome to Talk About Tatooine. I'm Andrew. I'm Nathan. And we are Twin Brothers, here to bring you what's new in nerddom and give a colorful commentary on our favorite subjects. Welcome to our cantina, grab a drink, and settle in as we set course for realities beyond our own. Cheers, brother. I'm drinking out of Freaking my Mariner's I'm, tr- I'm drinking out of my Mariner's cup today. Um, today we're going to be talking a lot about all the horrible things that happened in the Star Wars universe. We're talking these are S-tier <laughs> war crimes. It's going to be a great time. Um, we do have a little bit of news at the end, so make sure you guys stick around for that. But we're going to start off with our opening questions. What have you been watching recently? Um, so as far as what I've been watching recently, we we now have an HBO Max or just Max whatever. So I have a plethora of movies that I've never seen before, didn't get the chance to see in theaters, and I'm trying to see them now. One of those movies last night was the movie Valkyrie. It's about the uh, it's about the German assassination plot to kill Hitler. Uh, they are not successful. It is based on a true story. I don't know how many of the details they fudged, I guess. Um, they're not successful because we know that Hitler kills himself in a bunker uh, when the Russians absolutely curb stomp through their way through Berlin. Um, so he's not successful. He is executed at the end, which I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but so I watched that. I mean, we also watched like Top Gun. I was like, that's a movie I do want to see, but I don't want to see it in theaters because, I, again, I don't like Tom Cruise. And then watching mostly a lot of kaiju movies and Harry Potter. Nice. Excellent. I have been going through the Orville actually on your recommendation. And that's actually so it's a really weird evolution of a series because the first season is like yes. totally satire and you're just like, okay, it's Seth MacFarlane. It's obviously parody. It's a parody of star Trek. It's exactly what you expect. Mm-hmm. And then it gets real serious, really quick. What, what story are you on? So we are on, um, the episode I just went through is Topa just finished her, uh, surgery and um gosh what's the other guy's name Clyden 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 left um that was like the last thing I saw um which I was kind of like oh my gosh finally I don't really like Clyden that much um so but yeah it's it's intense and also the Kalon threat is like they go from like hey we're gonna do this like episodic thing to like hey now there's an existential th- threat to the entire galaxy and mm-hmm. we're gonna throw in some political assassinations in there we're gonna throw some all yeah. sorts of fun stuff and you're like the krill are super nasty and they just get worse and it's just like oh my gosh uh, i thought this was supposed to be funny what's happening um, but it's really good even my wife every time i have it on she's like i can't read when you have this on because it brings me in every time and i'm like yeah yeah got it <laughs> that's great so that's what i've been watching awesome so we are going to be talking about war crimes today for you listeners out there i want to just read through uh what I, essentially is the definition of a war crime so i'm gonna so this is gonna be a little bit boring probably a little bit dry but i'll try to do my best the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court has an extensive list of war crimes and is based on the Geneva Convention and customary laws, Reisenberg said. This is a quote from an article. The statute defines war crimes as grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions, namely any of the following acts against persons or property protected under the provisions of relevant Geneva Convention. Number one, willful killing. Number two, torture or inhuman treatment, including biological experiments. Number three, willfully causing great suffering or serious injury to body or health. Number four, extensive destruction and appropriation of property not justified by military military necessity and carried out unlawfully or wantonly. Number five, compelling a prisoner of war or other protected person to serve in the forces of a hostile power. Number six, 
willfully depriving a prisoner of war or other protected person of the rights of fair and regular trial. Number seven, unlawful deportation or transfer or unlawful confinement. Number eight, the taking of hostages. And then other serious violations of the law and customs during international conflict, including the intentional targeting of civilians, are defined as war crimes under the Rome Statute. The statute lists crimes against humanity, which include murder, rape, torture, enslavement, among other offenses, committed as part of a widespread or systemic attack directed against any civilian population with knowledge of the attack. Though genocide and crimes against humanity can occur during peacetime, war crimes can occur during only an armed conflict, Dannenbaum said. So that's a really interesting distinction. It has to be during a conflict to be a war crime. So... I mean, thankfully, we're in the Star Wars, so it's all war crimes. Uh, The crime of aggression, waging war without legal basis, is an international crime, but rarely prosecuted relative to war crimes, he says. And that was from a USA Today article, What is a War Crime? Uh, Ukraine accuses Russia of them, but what exactly constitutes a war crime? Ryan, Ryan W. Miller, March 2nd, 2022. We've got a decently extensive list of kind of some pretty open-ended things. And if you guys are fans of Star Wars, you guys probably know what we're going to start with. So, Andrew, go ahead and hit (laughs) hit us off with this one. I wrote in parentheses, obvi, because uh, the Death Star. uh, This is considered a war crime and is the start of the galactic civil war between the Empire and the Rebel Alliance. I mean, the wanton murder of billions and probably trillions of people actually alderon probably had a lot well maybe not trillion a trillion is a lot a trillion is a million billions is that how that works or is it a thousand billions it's a thousand billions okay yeah that's a lot it's a lot it's a lot of people i don't think there's a trillion people on alderon or scarif or Jeddah. so Yeah, so the Death Star fires three different times, each resulting in what is assuming a 100% casualty rate. So it's like, hey, this is a weapon that whatever it fires at, it kills no matter what. And we also see technically this being used in, I guess this technically wouldn't be a part of a war crime, but you also see the Death Star being fired in Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, where it's being fired at capital ships. And that you could argue that that has military necessity and so isn't a war crime. I would agree with that. I would agree Death Star 2, when it destroys the Mon Calamari capital ships during the Battle of Endor, those that's not a war crime, even though it's excessively violent. It is militarily necessary. Yeah. Then we move on to uh, our second war crime, which this one's actually really interesting because this is technically like another traveling war crime. Um, and this is actually the malevolence. So if you guys are familiar with the Clone mm-hmm. Wars, this is actually the first episode arc we get to see. And just a reminder, this is a kid's show. And basically what this ship does is it fires an ion cannon into the opposing enemy, completely destroying or really knocking out all of their systems. And the... What makes this a war crime is because these people are now defenseless against this mm-hmm. weapon. And then they're basically like, hey, how do you like living? And they're probably like a lot. And then they just destroy them instead of taking them prisoner. So, yeah. And they do so this General Grievous. So this was one of General Grievous's capital ships during the Clone War, like we said. And what he would do is he would systematically disable ships and then just kill everyone on board. And he even made such a point to make sure that there were no survivors going through the wreckage of these ships, sending out droid, uh, basically like rippers that would go find the escape pods. They would punch through them or blast through them and suffocate the occupants inside to make sure that their existence wasn't known to the Republic. So they couldn't, you know, send a fleet to destroy them, which is inevitably what ended up happening. It should be noted that these are our top 10, uh, but we, this isn't necessarily from worst to best war crime. That's probably not the right phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, yes, you would say like number one is the Death Star, but like number two was 
the malevolence, but it wasn't the second worst thing to happen in yeah, Star Wars. These history. aren't in these aren't in any particular order. These are just ten that we pulled out that we thought were just the worst overall. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it should also be noted we are doing canon only. We do have some legends war crimes in the honorable mentions at the end of the episode. Uh, yeah. Nathan, hit us with our number third. Number, so th- oh my god, our gosh. number third. <laughs> yes, I will number hit you with the number three. third. So our third one is, you guys are probably thinking, again, if this was in ranked order, this would actually technically be number one. And this is the firing of Starkiller Base. And mm. my only comment was like, is it technically a war crime if no one's alive to report it? Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so, because yes. keep in mind, it's it's like, okay, the Death Star destroyed Alderaan. They basically functionally destroyed Scarif and Jeddah. And the Starkiller base destroys what? Like six, seven planets all at once. Um so yeah. imagine how many people died on those. And these were these were core, um, not core worlds like Coruscant, but these were worlds that were very heavily populated. This is where the Republic capital was. And they're not mm. putting a capital on a farm world. They're putting a capital on a uh, metropolis world. So like a lot yeah, of people so did. Yeah. So one of the worlds that is destroyed is very much a metropolis world, similar to that of Coruscant. It was Hosnian Prime, and it was the seat of the New Republic government. So in one movie, we see the destruction of the entire New Republic government, which I think is dumb for a lot of reasons. But as far as like war crimes goes, this, I mean, it, it, this is like a preemptive strike. I mean, this is this is. In their act of doing it, it is declaring war on the New Republic because it is such a hostile attack uh, from an external power. What did they call it? It's a crime of aggression. Thankfully, they the Resistance is able to destroy it because, yeah, Starkiller Base is no joke. Although it seems like it actually consumed the sun that it was using as a power source so it's unclear if they would actually been able to fire it multiple times like or if they would like have they to would move tra- to a new system to fire it again yeah i'm like do you have to find a different star to do that did you somehow find the ability to make a planet hyperspace capable because we know that the death star is hyperspace capable it because it goes into hyperspace or death star one was death star two was not hyperspace capable it wasn't finished. So, but Death Star One was. We see, especially in Rogue One, they even explicitly say there's a massive object coming out of hyperspace. But it's unclear if Star Killer cool Base was. Yeah. yeah, of the Death Star coming over the horizon. My favorite Star Wars movie. I can't get enough of it. Speaking of planet killers, I believe this is the last planet killing super weapon on our list. Which is probably good because it's sort of a lot of the same thing, which, again, was some of my biggest criticisms of the sequels. That's not why we're here. Number four on our list of war crimes is the Final Order Uh, in their planet-killing ships. And something that I really actually liked about these Star Destroyers is they reminded me a lot of the Emperor's Super Star Destroyer, the Eclipse, that had a Death Star laser running the entire length of the ship. Uh, that's something that was in Legends. That's not a canon thing, although it would be so cool if it was. Um, but, you know, that that's really what it harkened back to, is an ability for the Death Star laser to be condensed down into a much smaller firing platform. And, th- I mean, that's... That's the only way to make the Death Star more lethal is to make it more mobile. Because it's very slow. Which then kind of begs the question, like, why didn't they do that in the first place? Or is it they had to upscale the technology to make it work and then they were able to make it micro? Because that's usually how technology tends to make it. They make it in whatever scale Mm -hmm. that they need to to make it functional. Then work goes into making it smaller afterwards. So I guess that makes sense. I kind of answered my own question boring (laughs) yeah you know you're totally right like uh repetitive storytelling aside that is really we do see the evolution or product life cycle of the death star in this case go from like 
to bigger and bigger and bigger to then smaller and smaller and smaller as it becomes more efficient. They find out smaller ways to compact, in this case, a a planet-killing laser into a mobile weapons platform. I was... So I actually think this one, like, I I kind of pose the question, like, what's more evil than a fleet of planet-killing weapons um, as kind of a hyperbole to kind of the final order of, like, hey, this is actually mm-hmm. what's going on. And I actually think this only deserves an honorable mention because, like, this made the threat to the galaxy so strong that the good guys basically had to win. Like, th- there was no way that they were going to be like, hey, by the way, at the end of Episode Nine, all of these ships get away. Although that would have made a great follow-up for episode 10. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we went in and we tried to stop them and we failed. <laughs> like, And then like five ships or something get out. That actually would be really cool. But yeah, it's 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 pretty intense that they're basically just like, hey, you get a Death Star laser. You get a Death Star laser. They really go yeah. after it. This next one kind of breaks my balls a little bit. I'm not going to lie. This is my all-time favorite arc in the Clone Wars series. This is a hard one. This is a hard one. Uh, our next one, number five, guys, is the betrayal of Pong Krell. Yes. And if you guys are not familiar with the, uh, what's the planet called again? Oh, gosh. It's the shadow planet of Umbara. Umbara. Thank you. So the Umbaran campaign is, that's a long episode arc. It's like six episodes or something. It's one of the mm-hmm. longest, like, single arcs we have in the campaign across the Clone Wars. And, like, it's hard to watch. Like the clones just get thrown against the wall here. The Umbarans are a really tough, ener- uh, really tough enemy. And Pong Krell is basically willfully using desolation tactics, not on his enemies, but his own troops. So that he mm-hmm. can result in as many casualties as possible. Cause he still wants to get, he still wants to take over the planet, which is an interesting yeah. thing that he's trying to do, but he wants to kill as many clones as possible in the process. And he actually even, orchestrates one of the most lethal events of friendly fire in the entirety of the clone wars. And it's just brutal. Like you get Rex just ripping his helmet off running through and it's just, Oh my gosh, it's hard. It's hard to watch. It really is because there've been, and what ended up happening there, if you haven't seen this is there were reports during the battle that the droid armies or no, that the Umbarans themselves were actually putting on the clone armor of deceased clone troopers and attacking. So basically Pong Krell, who is a Jedi, uh, basically is like, hey, go kill Obi-Wan's army. Go attack the 212th. He's commanding the 501st because they're all imposters. And so they, they start fighting each other and killing each other until at the very end, like Rex like examines one of the bodies and sees that it, it, it's a clone. It's not an Umbaran. So he rips off his helmet. He runs through uh, friendly fire. And he's like, stop shooting. We're not your enemy. And at that point, we see the clones actually take Pong Krell prisoner and then execute him. So this is one of the, the few times a clone executes a Jedi outside of Order 66. And it's I actually justified. One, it's actually justified. I'm like, I'm like, by the end of the episode arc, you want him to die. He has these like, you know, he's he's totally gone to the dark side. He's got these like maniacal visions of like, hey, we're going to lose the war. But he's so like, he gets the point right. He's like, the Republic is going to lose the war. But he just goes like, he's not, he totally goes full stupid and just makes himself a target he doesn't like shore up his power he doesn't shore up his position he's like he basically goes off the deep end and goes crazy and they put him down for it it's like okay well if your goal was to live maybe you should have done things a little differently because he's a really strong like force user and warrior because he's got he's a Mm -hmm. four-armed alien with two double-bladed lightsabers so like when he's fighting the clones he goes ham through their ranks like he kills a ton of them yeah, it's pretty it's pretty it's, it's pretty wild. It's pretty brutal. It's really hard to watch, especially at this point in the Clone Wars series, we've become so emotionally attached to the clones, fully knowing <laughs> that they are going to turn on the Jedi and it's hard to watch. But it's one of the strongest times of like foreshadowing in the Clone Wars. You're like, "Oh my gosh." Like it it makes 
Revenge of the Sith a better movie because of how well that narrative arc in particular is written. Number six, we are going to talk about the Imperial Genocide of the Geonosians. We did call this a war crime because... So, yeah, we did call this a war crime because after the Clone Wars, the Republic became the Empire. And as a result of the Clone Wars, the Empire decided to kill all of the Geonosians. So it's it's a little kind of like, was it or wasn't it? It, it really was. Um, the Geonosians were pivotal in the long-term success of the Separatists. Um, if Palpatine hadn't intervened, the Separatists probably would have won. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, they didn't value human life or really any life whatsoever. Their armies were, for lack of a better term, exhaust inexhaustible because they're droids. And they got, by the end of the, the war, they were really good at killing Jedi. Yeah, they did a lot of damage. And, and so it was really, really important that the Empire did something about Geonosis. And the Geonosians were either completely completely eradicated or some of them were kept as slaves to then build the Death Star but we don't really know that for sure what we do know is that in the events of Star Wars Rebels where Phoenix Squadron is actually searching the ruins of Geonosis for a shield generator they find the planet basically completely deserted uh, however in the caverns of the Geonosian hives they find massive containers of poison obviously with the imperial symbol on the side so they know exactly who did it i mean it's a it, it's a show for kids they're they're not gonna get it if you don't put that symbol there so it doesn't really bother me all that much but yeah they basically used chemical warfare which you know we saw in the description of, of uh war crimes at the beginning of the episode that that's something you're not supposed to do i guess you can't do that can't do that yeah, basically, once the Geonosians weren't needed, because they did they did build, they were instrumental in building the first Death Star. And, mm -hmm. I mean, the Republic fought for non-human species. But, like, once they switched yes. over to the Empire, they were like, hey, by the way, um, you're either going to get eradicated or we're going to subjugate you. So, like, you see exactly the eradication, because you, then you see other slave species like Wookiees and Twi'leks and things like that. So, yeah, they, they, mm -hmm. got, the, they got the short end of the stick. Basically, whichever... And they showed up on it. Well, I think I, in the honorable mentions, yeah, we have some kind of, of the terrible things the Republic did to the Geonosians as well. So <laughs> yeah. it's bad. It's real bad, friendos. Yeah. But speaking of the, the Separatists in the Republic, we're going to talk about a Separatist weapon. Do you want to hit us up with number seven? Yeah, absolutely. So this one's actually like kind of cool. But also, like, war crimes aren't cool, kids. But the Separatists use immolation weapons on civilian populations. So mm -hmm. if you guys are familiar with the Clone Wars, one of the episode arcs actually covers the use of the defoliator tank, a tank-based, uh, a fire-based tank shell utilized uh, by the AAT, which is the armored assault tank. And that's a, the general Separatist war tank you guys see. It's used against a peaceful race uh, in its initial testing on... Meridun against the very peaceful, like very, very peaceful, like pacifist peaceful Amani people. And it's also used on Dathomir when the mm -hmm. forces of General Grievous go to exterminate the Night Sisters. And basically, this defoliator shell is once it strikes the ground, it basically napalms everything that's organic around it, leaving mostly just carbon behind. So yeah. it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, you know the gif of a planet being subjugated under the Exterminatus and Warhammer, that's what the Defoliator does. It just spreads across the surface and kills absolutely anything in its blast radius. Ooh, it's what if, vicious to watch. Dude, dude, what if the Separatists made a shell like that that could be fired from a ship? Then you'd literally have Star Wars Exterminatus. It could that happen. would be intense. It could happen. If they can fire it from a tank, they can fire it from a, from a ship. Let's see. Number eight on our list, 
is also from the Separatists because the best way to show that they are the bad guys is by doing war crimes because a, ch a child can understand a war crime and be like, wow, that's that's unforgivable. There's there's no redemption. They just need to be eradicated. I mean, that's how most two-year-olds talk. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, the Separatists, like general, just the Separatists in, ge in general, so their genocides, their embargoes, and their blockades, these are willful and wanton destruction of civilian populations. One example is Akvatina, which is actually the world that Din Djarin grew up on, uh, which I didn't know the name of. I had to look it up. Um, but we see tons of flashbacks from Din's childhood of scores of droids just rampaging through towns and indiscriminately killing civilians. Like, there's, there's no one to fight those droids. They're just like, for whatever reason... The separatists have decided that you are going to die, like you're not on our side, and just kills them all until eventually Death Watch shows up and actually fights back the droids invading. Uh, we also see another great example of like blockades and things like that. Obviously, there's Naboo from episode one, uh, but there's also Admiral Trench's blockade of Malastare and Christophsis. Um, Trench relied heavily on terror tactics and was a master at setting and defending blockades effective. Setting Trench relied heavily on terror tactics and was a master at setting and defending blockades, effectively starving the populations on the planet's surface until the citizens finally capitulated to the separatist demands. Whether that was, hey, you need to give us your resources, hey, you need to give us you know, your people as slaves, hey, you need to give us money, or you need to join the separatists and not join the Republic. And Admiral Trench, I think, was a great example because he's like this big spider dude and he's really scary. Uh, he does this like weird clicking thing, which is like borderline too scary for me because I do not like spiders. Yeah, he's he's a really cool separatist villain. He does some pretty gnarly mm -hmm. stuff and the Republic has a hard time dealing with him. Yeah, for sure. The next one we've got for is sure. kind of one of the most recent war crimes we've gotten as far as yeah. like recent content produced. And this is the Purge of Mandalore. We see mm -hmm. this is one of the few recorded instances of atomic weapons and being used in the Star Wars universe and the actual glassing of a planet where the Emperor so thoroughly bombed the planet's surface that it turned every all the biological matter into the glassy material known as Trinitite. So when Din first goes down to the planet in his modified N1, you see all those crystal structures. That is Trinitite. And it mm. is pretty gnarly. And so much so that the only structures to survive are now underground because everything else has been leveled. So pretty cool stuff, yeah. but uh, not good. Not good. I'm wondering if the writers for uh, the Mandalorian, especially for season three, where we do see like their return to Mandalore and all this different stuff. I'm wondering if they were big Halo fans because the Mandalorians are, for all intents and purposes, like the Star Wars version of the Halo Spartans and like glassing of planets, like literally turning the surface into glass is actually a term that was widely used by the covenant where they basically would fire their plasma beams onto the surface of the planet turning all of everything into, into glass because that's what happens when you superheat things like dirt and sand is it turns into glass or uh obsidian i think is what it is but in this case it's like a green glass type thing called trinitite which i'm that's probably also why the planet is considered toxic because typically green glass shaped things have lead in them. So if you find like an antique that has green glass in it, like the, the lead isn't going to hurt you, but don't like grind it up and put it in your smoothie. You like, you'll get brain damage. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that, that's my reason why I think maybe Mandalore is so toxic. That's why Din is like, whoever goes there dies is because there might be it might be a lead alloy or the Star Wars equivalent of a lead alloy in the Trinitite. Then we move on to number 10, everybody. You guys are probably thinking, hey, when are they going to mention like that obvious thing that happened at the end of Revenge <laughs> of the Sith? That's yeah. number 10 here, guys. Order 66. Yeah. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Your notes on this are so perfect. It's simple and it's beautiful. It's religious genocide and BD. <laughs> Just straight it, up. It, oh, got him. It, that, that is what it is. The Jedi are a re- religious group and Palpatine is like, I'm going to kill 100% of you. I mean, he doesn't. He kills like 99%, but that, uh, Yes. And I mean, the Jedi and the Sith have been mortal enemies for all of existence, all of their existence. So, I mean, I think this is an easy classification of a war crime. And I mean, the wanton killing of like children, like younglings, brutal. I mean, yeah, generally you're not allowed to kill children in wartime or actually in general ever. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, pretty bad on that one. And. Yeah, Anakin's order like, 66. what? Yeah, I think Order 66 thing. is a good one to round out this list. I mean, there, there's a lot of death and really a lot of bad things happening on this list. Then we get into our honorable mentions here, guys. Uh, and we've got some doozies on here, but we've got eight different things that some of these are canon, some of these are not, that we wanted to kind of bring up as well, because you guys are probably listening through and you're like, hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Uh, and we didn't include Legends into the top 10 at all. Mm-hmm. So here we go. One of the first ones is the second battle of Geonosis. And now this one's important because the Republic actually uses flamethrowers. You good? Yeah. I was just looking to where the dogs were. Okay. Uh, and the second one is, or the second battle of Geonosis, the Republic actually implements flamethrowers and this is not mm-hmm. okay. Coyote Moody, master, Jedi master, Coyote Moondai, doesn't seem to have much qualms about using flamethrowers or even bragging about his kill count compared to Anakin and Ahsoka at the end of the episode. Most of the fighting we see is actually against Geonosians. So it is implied mm-hmm. that they killed a lot of actual biologicals, not just droids in that episode. So they're they're a little cavalier about taking lives for sport. And this is also a group of religious people who also believe life is technically sacred. So... I actually did a little bit of reading up on whether or not using a flamethrower is considered a war crime, and I couldn't really find a concrete answer, but I probably think it is. It probably falls under the extensive destruction and appropriation of property or the willfully causing great suffering or serious injury to body or health. Um, Like it's, it's a horrible, horrible way to die. And I, I think would say, yeah, it falls that under definition, that category for sure. Yeah. If you disagree, let us know in the comments. Also, just in general, if you're like, well, what about this? What about this? Like, we we totally want to hear from you. Uh, yeah. Hit us up. Tell us how wrong we are. The second one I put on, which is, has this like indelible memory in my brain because I was like 10 years old and I read a Star Wars comic about how the Empire uh, did a genocide against the Gungans. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, so what happened is Naboo actually has a habitable moon, or at least in Legends it did. So just that's just going to be the whole umbrella. I'm not going to preface that anymore. Naboo had a habitable moon, and all of the Gungans emigrated to that moon. It was a little bit swampy, so it was like a perfect environment. It was a perfect biome for them to live in. And what the Empire did is they just, they like biobombed the whole place and they killed every single Gungan on the moon. And this was like as retribution for uh, the Gungans' role in the Republic, maybe even particularly retribution against Jar Jar in particular. I'm not sure that Anakin really likes Jar Jar. So can't imagine what gives you that idea. So yeah, let's just kill them all. And uh, they did. Yeah. Uh, Again, this is technically... I'm not sure if this is technically a war crime because that the Empire was not at war with the Gungans. Like Naboo and therefore its moons were a part of the Empire and had representation in the Imperial Senate. So it's mostly just the Empire killing its own civilians. I wouldn't classify this as a war crime because it didn't happen during a time of war against the the Gungan faction. 
that's an interesting distinction, but also, yeah, like I can see why that distinction would be made. So mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and tell us about the next one. Cause I don't remember what operation cinder is. So our number third on our honorable mentions is Operation Cinder. Basically what this was is if you played the Battlefront 2 campaign, which you probably didn't because it wasn't very good, shots fired, pew, 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 is that Palpatine, in the event of his death, was saying, if I die, it means that the Empire is not in a good place. He, his entire vision of the Empire was him at the head. So if he wasn't leading it, no one was going to lead it. And Operation Cinder was the systematic approach of culling entire populations of Imperial citizens to basically start the Empire over. So there, they, there were these large Imperial worlds, and sometimes they would take like satellites and stuff that had like orbital lasers, and they would cause like massive storms on the planet. They would alter the the planet's weather patterns, or they would just basically bomb them into non-existence to get rid of imperial citizens. To just say, hey, there's... Palpatine was essentially saying, I'm going to drain my own swamp if I die. What a brutal, brutal way to go. Yeah. And in that, we actually see that, like, members of Inferno Squad, like Iden Versio like see this she's like an ardent imperial she's like she was actually a survival survivor of the battle of yavin she's like i can't believe the rebels would do like would kill all the people on this station how could they and then she saw the imperials basically murder her home planet and she's like oh i get it now the empire's bad that's why they blew up our moon yeah like, oh i get it now it's like Come on. <laughs> but uh, again, we, I wouldn't classify this as a war crime and really only an honorable mention because it's the empire killing its own citizens. That's a, that's a technicality right there. It's not a war crime. If you're not at war, the next one's definitely a war crime because this is mm-hmm. the blue shadow virus. So this actually also takes yes. place on Naboo, where basically separatist scientists are developing a virus that is so lethal to everyone affected. And there's there's like one cure. It's a route that Anakin has to go find. And they're basically they basically the only reason this succeeds is because they're able to like close down the facility before it's able to be shipped out. But it almost mm-hmm. gets out and it would have killed a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And biological warfare is a definitely a war, a war crime. So can't do yeah, that. It ends up it ends up only killing like what maybe a dozen clones by the end. Yeah, and then I'm not and, even sure if any of them actually die. Well, yeah, because we find the cure. I'm not sure, uh, and I mean, basically, Ahsoka and Padme survive because of plot armor. So, which is good. We like Ahsoka. So we do really like Ahsoka. We like Padme too, but her oh, choice in men is pretty bad, but she, it doesn't matter what her name is. She's dead. That is a quote from Shawshank Redemption. And anytime I say that, my wife is like, why are you so mean? I was like, no, I'm quoting a movie. And she's like, stop. And I'm like, okay, I'm being mean. I'll stop. Go ahead and tell us about the, the next, next one. one. We, I was... The next one we have on our list, number five of the honorable mentions, is the Citadel Arc. So if you're unfamiliar with the Citadel, this is a prison that the Separatists set up, and it's meant to hold Jedi. It's meant to hold Jedi captives. I just smacked my mic. And we see, oh gosh, who... Uh, even Peel, we see Jedi Master Even Peel. He is captured and tortured here. They're trying to get like secrets out of him. And again, this this is a war crime for sure, because it's during an armed conflict between the two warring parties, and there's torture involved. So it's a war crime. Uh, we put it on the honorable mentions list because it does. It only affects a relatively small number of people. I mean, actually, a pretty small number of, of people. It's Even Peel and then some Republic officers. And that's kind of it. Yeah. 
uh, but they're pretty brutal to them. Yeah, they do. Uh, they do some fun stuff. It would also technically be a war crime because he's in prison without chance of a trial. Yep, no trial. Yeah. Then the we also see separatists the, don't believe in justice. Yeah, they're like, we're just going to kill you all. Then we've got the imprisonment of Echo as well. This one's really sad as well because you don't you think yeah. Echo's dead for like what five seasons of the Clone Wars and yeah some, like and basically after the citadel arc echo is lost which i guess it's not five seasons it's not but you find you find that echo is lost he's presumed dead before Mm -hmm. the final arc i always assumed i was like yeah echo's not coming back like you you assume that he's dead right and it's a kid's show so you're kind of like oh they're not just showing him getting shot in the face because this is for kids technically so we'll just have him disappear and we won't actually show him dying then they bring him back and he's basically being used as a info siphon for the uh techno union and Watt tambor i think it's Watt tambor is basically just like you're my robotic plaything, and that's how they end up killing a lot of other clones as well because echo has all of rex's battle plans it's pretty gnarly mm-hmm. yeah yeah they basically plug him into a computer and like start taking secrets out of his head which is an insane thing to be able to do, which I guess we see a lot of that same technology later in like the Imperial torture droids. Like the Imperials are so good at torture by the time the Clone Wars is over. They're like, dude, we can, we can get you to say anything. Why, why even try? Yeah. Ooh, this next one was fun. Number seven on our honorable mentions list is the attempted, attempted, keyword being attempted bombing of the Republic conference at Caridia. So this is when the separatists steal a Venator class ship. They fill it full of Rhydonium, which is imagine potent enough gasoline that can take you to hyperspace. It goes crazy, crazy. It, it really does like the stuff is potent enough to pilot starships through hyperspace. It's very, very strong, very, very explosive. So the separatists fill up an entire cruiser of it and basically try to just yeet it into a Republic conference with like most of the Jedi Council, most of the Republic leaders and like war leaders, senators, things like that. I'm not actually sure Palpatine is at that conference. He's probably not because he probably orchestrated the whole thing. Most likely. Yeah, but really what they wanted to do is they wanted to just cut the head off of the Republic. Like, if this had succeeded, it would have ended the Clone Wars for the Separatists. They would have not been able to fight back. Uh, they uh, Here, my notes say, it's like they wanted to cut off the head of the Republic, dot, 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 with a grenade strong enough to blow up a small moon. Yeah, like, we're going to do some decapitation with explosives. Ugh. It's yeah. like, okay, Gnarly. you technically can do that. It's but is this yeah, effort, it's pretty brutal? Is this effort thwarted by like what is it, D Squadron? I don't remember if they were D Squad or not, but it's the droids. Yeah, D Squad led by Colonel Gascon. I mean, really, R two D two is the hero. He totally is the one who saves it, and somehow he gets blown to like a million pieces, and Anakin is able to find the pieces and rebuild him, like. You can't kill R2-D2. He, we will experience the heat death of the universe before R2-D2 passes away. Very true. Now, for our last one, Andrew, you're familiar with the Kratos virus, correct? Yeah, for sure. This one is super cool. So if you guys get the chance to read the X-Wing novels, please read through these. Um, because the Kratos virus is a virus made by Imperial agents that is designed to cause mass casualties, but not quickly. It's meant to be a slow-moving virus that moves through mostly non-human populations to Mm -hmm. get the Republic, the New Republic in this instance, to use as much Bacta as possible in curing it. Because Bacta is technically a cure, but basically the Imperial scientists said, hey, we can actually measure the amount of Bacta it takes to basically deal with this potency of virus if we gave everyone in the virus everyone in the virus everyone in the universe this virus then we could basically exhaust the new republic's 
back to stores in like a year or two, like completely exhausted. Yeah. And that was their goal. They wanted to cripple the Republic and literally kill as many non-human aliens or non-humans as possible. And they actually kind of succeed a little bit. Like it takes them a while to get through, uh, to get this all contained. And it's pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it starts off on Coruscant, so like literally billions of people are infected. And like you said, it doesn't affect humans. So the Republic is trying to mitigate humans and non-humans because the Empire had treated uh, non-humans as second-class citizens for so long. And the Republic, New Republic was trying to fix that. And the Empire is like, well, we're going to throw a wrench into that because all of the non-humans are going to be so bitter that humans are naturally immune to this that they're going to basically think it's their fault. Which, like, in a way it was because humans did develop it. But yes. not all humans developed it. It was, it was imperial scientists. Very evil scientists. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of our honorable mentions list and our war crimes episode. We hope you had... Uh, a great time going down this uh, wonderful memory lane with us <laughs> talking about all the awful things that happened in Star Wars. We're going to talk a little bit about Star Wars video game news here um, and Star Wars movie news. Uh, I'm just going to preface, it's not good news. There's very little happening in the Star Wars IP right now, I feel like, other than the High Republic books and comics, which yeah. I'm also reading through. So I like... I'm getting my little Star Wars dopamine hits pretty regularly, but there's not really anything mainstream mainstream media, i.e. movies and games, movies, games, and television for Star Wars coming out. There are rumors that Taika Waititi is still working on his Star Wars script. The last time we talked about this, uh, his movie is not going forward. However, it sounds like he's still writing something so that he's trying to get greenlit. That would be great. Yeah, I like Taita, Taika Waititi's work in the, in the Marvel Universe. I'm hoping he can do a good job in the Star Wars universe. It's a little unclear to me why we can get, you know, 1.2 Marvel movies a year and 0.0 Star Wars movies a year. Yeah, beats me. Those are really both huge intellectual properties for Disney. And it's like, why aren't you guys cranking this out? Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of confusing from a business standpoint. You're like, you guys know you're like, even if the movies are bad, you guys still make money, right? Like <laughs> we don't want them yeah, to make I bad mean, movies, but they're, they're gonna, yeah, we would prefer them to make good movies, but the sequel movies for star Wars were objectively some of the highest grossing movies of all time doesn't really matter what you think they got rich off of it uh another thing there is this is this is more rumor mill there are rumors of a new kotor game in development this is not a nice the old republic 2 remake or not the night the old republic remake that's still currently being worked on uh but this is more new KOTOR content. It would be really great to see this era pop back up in Star Wars, maybe even see Revan canonized a little bit more than he already is. Ugh, he is that would canon. be so good. Yeah, he is canon because he has like a cameo in an episode of Clone Wars or something like that, or it might have been Darth Bane. Actually, I think it was Darth Bane. I don't think Revan is canon. Not yet. Which is sad. Uh, but we might we might be getting something new for that. Um, overall, for Star Wars games, there's there's no new updates. Uh, Screen Rant, who usually stays on top of a lot of their like games and movie releases and movie reviews, they released an article about about a week ago that came out, and the whole article was like nothing is happening in Star Wars games right now, which is insane because Star Wars games are awesome. Yeah. And it, it just seems like a waste to not have any Star Wars games come out. This, the KOTOR remake has no has had no progress coming out. The Ubisoft game that's uh, apparently being developed doesn't even have a name yet. Uh, there's no word on whether or not Star Wars Hunters is going to come to the United States anytime soon. And there's rumors that uh, Quantic Dream... Uh, 
and their work on Star Wars Eclipse might not it might not come out until 2026. Which I'm like, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> the world's gonna you know? be completely on fire by then. Speed it up, guys. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like that stuff is taking so long. I'm like, there's a higher problem, like the more time that comes out between now and when a video game releases, the higher likelihood that I could like die in a car crash, you know? Like the longer I might time not I make spend it that alive, long. Yeah, it's like, what if I don't make it? Is Jesus gonna have an Xbox in heaven? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we do have one bright spot in the dark kind of purgatory of Star Wars games right now, and that's Star Wars Jedi Survivor is generally being given good ratings. Uh, it has a 6 out of 10 on, out of, on Steam, which isn't great. Um, okay. I think it's not super well optimized. I don't think it's super well optimized for PC and has a pretty big download, so I think that is not a positive thing for players is what I've heard. Uh, I am part... All my entire Twitter feed is just Star Wars Twitter, and the people on there seem to really like Jedi Survivor. There's, like, a lot of memes going around. The little turkle creature, he's, like, the, uh, an anthropomorphic frog, is, like, really cute and really kind of goofy-looking. Um, he's awesome. Uh, but then, like, if you do a Google search for Jedi Survivor, 89% of Google users who have played... Jedi Survivor like Jedi Survivor. So that's just a yes, no vote. So that's that's encouraging. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode. We're coming up on an hour, so we're going to be cutting this one off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to our podcast here at Talk About Tatooine. Make sure that you guys check out our Patreon. That is the way that you guys can support the podcast directly. So if you guys found find any value in this podcast, consider putting a little bit back in. Even at $5 a month, you guys can support everything we have going on, all of our projects, and we have quite a bit of them. So please do that because that way we can continue making better content for you guys. Our goal is to actually get enough Patreon support so we can start investing in some new softwares for recording, editing, and all that fun stuff. So please make sure you guys check us out. If you guys have comments, questions, you guys can leave them on basically any platform that you guys listen to. If you guys are listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, please leave us a review. That would be super helpful in getting this podcast to be shared with more people. Hit us up with that five stars. We will love you forever. So with all that here, guys, make sure that you guys are following us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. So that way, when you guys are seeing all of our different shorts, you guys can stay up with all of that as well. Until next time, may the force be with you. Close your eyes.